This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Our scripture today is the Holy Gospel according to Luke, Luke 24, 13 to 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself went and came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along the way? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what they had they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread for the word of god in scripture for the word of god among us for the word of god within us thanks be to god our text today is a story of broken hearts of hopes dashed, of horizons eliminated. 
And I think it's not too much of a stretch to say that we, too, are currently a nation of broken hearts, of shattered bodies. Last summer, George Floyd, a, a father, a friend, a volunteer at his church, an imperfect human being trying to get through life, this George Floyd had his life cruelly, mockingly taken from him as an officer of the law had his knee on his neck for nine minutes because of a $20 bill that was purportedly counterfeit. $20! We had hoped that the outrage sparked on by this blatant display of police violence, white supremacy, and racism would lead to change, to reform, to something new. We had hoped that we wouldn't have to keep saying, stop killing black people. We had hoped that black mothers wouldn't have to keep fearing for their children's lives. We had hoped that the killing of unarmed black Americans would end or at the very least diminish. On Sunday, a week ago, only 10 miles from where the trial of Derek Chauvin is happening, the officer who killed George Floyd, in this spot, one week ago today, 20-year-old Dante Wright was gunned down while sitting in his car, unarmed. After a traffic stop. And before we could fully process this grief and outrage, we're shown a video from two and a half weeks prior where Adam Toledo, with his hands empty and hands up, is shot and killed. And we learn that he was 13 years old. A child. And before we can process this grief, we see the news covering another mass shooting where workers at a FedEx location are gunned down, eight dead, five injured per CNN. It was at least the 45th mass shooting in the United States since March 16. Since March 16, nearly 50 mass shootings, and I know we've had some even since then in this country during a pandemic when people aren't even gathering as much together. I'm out of words, exhausted, exhausted by grief, by outrage by continually not understanding why we sit and watch the unthinkable unfold again and again and then do literally nothing about it. We had hoped that our system of democracy would allow leaders to rise up who would do something about the epidemic of gun violence, who would acknowledge the flaws in our law enforcement and criminal justice system, who would give a damn about the grieving families and finally say never again. 
We had hoped that the biblical call for justice would penetrate the hardest of hearts in this so-called Christian nation. We had hoped that the way of Jesus, the way of peace, would be the guide for the majority of our leaders who claim to be Christ followers. We had hoped. In the first century, the Jewish people lived under occupation from the Roman Empire. Yet it really doesn't help us to imagine uh, Rome as sort of the evil empire of the first century or the axis of evil of the Mediterranean. This, per historian John Dominic Crossan, uh, Rome was the expression, he notes, of the normalcy of civilization's violence, first century style. In other words, civilizations generally are built on violence. Violence is normal among civilizations. Cross and notes, usually we use the term civilization for everything that's good about our humanity, poetry and drama, music and dance, art and architecture, image and narrative, and so on. And of course, we tend to use uncivilized as a calculated insult. But Crossan invites us to think about the brutal normalcy of civilization the brutal normalcy of civilization. That is, we have to think that imperialism, the idea of one power establishing itself against lesser ones, imperialism is not just a sporadic event in human history. Rather, civilization itself has always been imperial. That is, empire is the normalcy of civilization's violence. In Ronald Wright's book, A Short History of Progress, he highlights... Uh, the progress civilization has made with violence and how exponentially faster its weapons have developed. He says, from the first chipped stone to the first smelted iron took nearly three million years, yet from the first iron to the hydrogen bomb took only 3,000 years. It took us only 3,000 years to learn how to destroy the world. Crossan laments, we are so terribly, terribly clever. But where in all that human evolution is there any sign of wisdom? Which brings us to our text today. It begins, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. These two disciples who had been witness to wisdom embodied. They had seen for themselves that the normalcy of civilization's violence wasn't the only way. They had learned that violence was bred from injustice, poverty, misunderstanding, and inequality, and that alternatives were indeed possible. 
But of course, the machinations of imperial normalcy couldn't tolerate such an interruption, rooted as it was in the wisdom of equity, justice, and peace. And so the cruel gears of human civilization turned on him, churning him up. And so hearts broken, they walk. Heads down, they walk. God, why? They lament. And then a stranger comes up alongside. A stranger who seems strangely unaware of all that's happened. They're like, have you not been watching the news? Aren't you on Twitter? Do you live in a cave? How do you not know the events that have transpired? Are you literally the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? But the stranger lets these insults slide off his back. He's been through worse. He plays ignorant. What things? And they go on to tell him, and no doubt the replay of events reignites the trauma of grief within them, and their hearts break all over again. We had hoped he was the one to change things, they say. We had hoped, but now it has been three days since all these things have happened. The stranger gently chastises them, then goes on to share some insights from the Torah and the prophets, inviting them to look deeper within their own tradition. But the walk is getting long. They're nearing home, but now the stranger is veering off, heading further down the road. Hey, join us, won't you? It's getting late. And so it is that these two, even with their broken hearts, even in their grief, and despite their trauma, open their home and their hearts. And in that moment of hospitality, in the breaking of bread, the text says, their eyes were opened. And suddenly, new possibilities emerge. They and we discover that the escalatory violence of civilization does not have to be the inevitable <clears throat> destiny of humankind. Because hospitality, you see, has the potential to transform our lives and our world. It can redirect the path of humanity away from violence and misunderstanding and toward peace and relationship. Now, we must understand that hospitality isn't just a matter of simply being nice, right? It's more than that, right? It is justice and generosity embodied. Hospitality is justice and generosity embodied. It is food for the stomach and the soul. It's the way we turn anger and disappointment into possibility and healing. Now, of course, our ability to extend hospitality has been curbed uh, during this pandemic. 
right? It's hard to open your home when that doesn't seem wise. Uh, but there are, I believe, other creative ways to offer hospitality in this time, to live with the spirit of hospitality. And I'd actually love to have you share some of your ideas in the comments, um, perhaps ways that you yourself during this time have experienced hospitality or ways that you've been blessed to offer hospitality during the past year plus. And as you share some ideas in the comments, hopefully that will spark some ideas for the rest of us. It could be as simple as delivering a meal, right? Instead of opening your home. It could be shoveling a neighbor's driveway in winter. It could be mowing a yard for someone for whom that is difficult. It could be picking up prescriptions for someone who can't get out. It could be writing a friendly <clears throat> handwritten note along with some goodies for someone who's new to the neighborhood and, and doesn't really know anyone yet. Hospitality that is open-hearted boundary expanding and rooted in the welcome that God has for us, this kind of hospitality can sow the seeds for the change we need. Leslie Verner notes in her book on hospitality that this is especially true when we cross boundaries of difference in our hospitality. Through proximity to those who are different, safety is redefined because people we might have feared or ignored before become people that we actually know. And I'm sure you've experienced this, right? Fear fades when <clears throat> strangers suddenly have funny quirks, when we learn the story behind their tattoos, when we learn their favorite hobbies, and maybe they're even ones that we share. And when we know the names of people's mothers and fathers, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, siblings, then they are no longer strangers. Hospitality reminds us that we are all human. And as we were reminded in our opening of worship, all sorrows are less with bread. We are experiencing the brutal normalcy of civilization's violence in profound ways these days, friends. And we are hurting, and we are angry, and we are filled with grief. But even with broken hearts, may we be those who offer hospitality, who embody justice and generosity, even in the simple act of breaking bread with friends, and with strangers, for it is in that moment that Jesus is among us again, and anything is possible. Amen, and namaste.
You are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.